Matthew chapter 6. Let's read verses 1 through 8. We're actually rewinding a little bit. Uh, going back, it was four weeks ago since uh, we've been in Matthew. Uh, we were here, verses 1 through 4. Then we took a week for communion. And then Mike preached, and then Brandon preached. And so here we are returning to Matthew chapter 6, inviting the Lord to speak to us this morning in a very personal way. Uh, so I want to rewind. Uh, Back to verse 1, we're focusing today, verses 5 through 8, but we'll get a running start again with verse number 1. Jesus, in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, says, Beware. So here's a warning, grace for you. Be careful. Watch out. Danger is near. What is the danger? Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people. Here's the key phrase. In the, well, it's not wrong to do righteous acts in front of other people. It's doing it in order to be seen by them. That's the warning. That's the danger. Why is this so important? Christ says, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. And I hope no one reads that and says, you know what? So I'll lose my reward if I'm going to heaven. It'll be okay. It is not okay. This reward is so substantial. It's so meaningful. Christ does not want you to miss it. So here he's going to warn us. A very broad, general, don't do certain righteous acts to be seen. And then he's going to get specific, verses 2 through 18. It'll take us a few weeks to go through these. We've already looked at 2 through 4, but let's read it again. Verse 1's broad and general. Verse 2 starts getting specific. Thus, when you give to the needy, there's one of the places you really need to be careful. When, why? Because sin is going to creep into your good action. When you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you. Don't announce it. As the hypocrites do in two places, in the synagogue and in the streets. Hypocrite is the ancient word. One of our guides the last couple of weeks in Greece, she asked, what is the ancient word for actor? And we knew that that word was hypocrite. So this goes back literally to the Greek language. Hypocrites would stand on the stage and put on a mask or put on a costume and act like something they really were not. Christ is saying, when you give, sound no trumpet before you, don't announce it, as the hypocrites, the actors, the pretenders do in the synagogues and in the streets. Why is that so important? They do this to be praised by others. Jesus says truly, they have received their reward. They've gotten full what they're going to get. They're not going to get anything more than that. Mission accomplished. You wanted to be seen. You wanted to be thought of as loving people and loving God. That's all you want to get. People saw it. You made sure they saw it. You announced it. Don't do that. Verse 3. But when you give to the needy, do this. Do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. So don't do it publicly. Don't announce it. Keep it private. So private, as it were, that you're not even keeping a running tally so as to impress yourself with how much you're giving to God in the synagogue or to the needy out on the street. You're really not. You're just following the leading of the Lord, just giving the Lord's money. You're Again, you're not keeping up you know, with the sense. Forgive me if you do this. I don't know if anybody does this. I know some, when they give, give literally down to the penny. Now, if that means, like, you know, $161.37, literally, that may be how you give. If that is so, I want to be sure that I give God all of what I feel that I 
to give him. Praise the Lord for that attitude. But I hope it's not this attitude. I don't want to give him one penny more. <laughs> don't have that attitude. Now verse 5. At the end of verse 4, Jesus says, You'll give this way your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. Now he switches gears. Keeping the same thing from verse 1. And when you pray. And when you pray. It's the title of our message. When you pray. You must not be like the hypocrites. Don't give like the pretenders actors. Don't pray like the pretender actors. What do they do? For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Love it. Truly, Jesus says, I say to you, they have their reward. They have what they were after. God's not going to hear them. They got what they were really after. So then he says, verse 6, But when you pray, so don't do that, but when you pray, go into your room. Let's even now let the Word of God begin instructing us. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door. And pray. Don't just go in the room and shut the door. Go in your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. He's in there. Somebody here today, you're not used to doing this. You don't know if this is true or not. If you're a Christian, do it. Try it. Go in by faith, knowing that God is in there. Jesus promises the Father who is in secret. What will happen? And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. What's the reward? Receiving of your prayer. That's the reward. Answering of prayer is the reward. Verse 7. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases. I think the King James would have it, vain repetitions. Don't just heap up empty phrases. As they switch gears, Gentiles, he's no longer talking about the hypocrites, now he's talking about pagan unbelievers away from God. They heap up empty phrases. Why do they do that? They, I could even add the word really, for they really think they will be heard for their many words. Why will you be heard? My many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Verse number two, I'm going to jump into this very quickly. Let's take our first note. In verse number two, Jesus begins to name three specific spiritual disciplines that we need to be especially careful in. When you do these things, watch out. Danger is, is on the edge of what you're doing. It's reaching out. It wants to pull you in. The danger is pride. The danger is there are certain actions that are good in and of themselves, but when we do them, if we're not careful, we will find ourselves doing them for the wrong motive to impress other people. There are three. There's more than three, but these are the main three that Christ says pride is coming at you when you give, when you pray, and when you fast. When you give, when you pray, when you fast, look out, pride's coming. It's going to try to get you to do these things for the wrong motive. I thought about these things. Why these things? I'll put myself in this group. We've got to be careful. For some reason, when we do something good for someone, if we're not careful, part of us wants people to know that we did it. When we attempt to pray, if we're not careful, something in us 
will want people to know that we're praying. Hey, you need to know that I'm over here praying. Or if we're praying out loud, we, need, we, we want people to think we're spiritual. Maybe we have an inside track. By the way, if you're a Christian, you do have an inside track. If you're unsaved, you don't have an audience with God. You have to be a believer in Christ. But we want people to think we are spiritual and think we have this inside track. And then this third is when we put certain spiritual disciplines in our life, if we're not careful, we want everybody to know that we're doing it. I know that I'm not talking about the same thing. This is not apples to apples. And this is not everyone. But have you ever noticed that when someone starts working out and the results start coming in, not always, but almost always, they start wearing less clothes. <laughs> I just noticed that. Why do we do that? They want you to know they're doing it. They want you to see the results of what they've been doing. I really love it when like, somebody you know, goes through this and you like, find out. Like, dude. Oh, yeah. Dude. That's impressive. Way to go, dude. But it's, it's almost inevitable. We, we want to talk about it. We want everybody to know it. We want to show the results. That's what we do when we fast. When we give, when we pray, when we fast, look out. You're in a dangerous zone. You're likely to lose your reward in the spiritual realm. <laughs> I want to switch gears before I jump into my points by way of introduction. I want to ask you a series of questions, okay? You don't have to raise your hand. Just think. I think by the time I finish, everybody will be included, probably. Have you ever coached? Have you ever been a coach? Somebody would say, oh, no, I've never been a coach. Have you ever coached someone how to sew? How to cook? Here's how you vacuum. Uh, maybe more formally, here's how you hit a ball, catch a ball, throw a ball. Here's how you kick it. Um, maybe it's, you ever shown someone, coach someone, here's how you run that program at work. Here's how you run that piece of machinery. Have you ever done anything like that? Uh, here's, how you here's how you color. Here's how you stay in the lines. Have you ever coached someone? Probably say, oh, no, I'm going to put it like that. Yes, I have coached someone. The reason I'm doing that is we're in the middle of football season, right? So football season, higher level, and I hope the little bitty kids don't have to suffer through this, higher level football teams watch a lot of film. They watch film. What are they doing? And some, the higher you go, you have more coaches. And so the offensive line has its own coach. Quarterbacks have their own coach. Receivers, running backs, defensive backs, defensive line, linebackers, each group, special teams, they have their own coach. They watch these film, and yes, they're scouting the other team, but more than that, they watch themselves. And so as soon as the game's over, the videographers get it all ready, and the coaches get it, bring the team in, and they break it down. What are they going to do? They're going to watch the film, and they're going to freeze it, and they're going to show everybody, look, why did you do that? Why did you take this angle? Hey, 43, it's a great job. 27, where, what were you doing? The reason we got lit up on this play, you blew the defense. What, what are you doing? Don't do that. Do this. They're really breaking it down. I mention that for this reason. Christ, and I'm, I, I'm running a risk. I, I've told myself several times, I've even prayed that it wouldn't happen. I'm afraid I'm going to come across a little negative a few times in this message. But then I come back to the text and I realize Christ says some negative things. A lot of people would say if you're a public speaker, say the same thing, but don't put it in a negative light. Just put the positive spin and try to inspire everyone to do the positive thing. Don't mention the negatives. Christ, 
as a coach. I'm not blaspheming. I'm not lowering what Christ is doing here. I'm not making it too mechanical. Literally, we can look at this text and the one the verses that follow. Jesus is like a prayer coach. And what he's going to say is, do this, don't do that. Freeze it. Run the video. Freeze it. What are you doing? That's what Christ is doing in our prayer time. Why? Because I find that myself and most Christians get a lot of our prayer habits by listening to other people. Check yourself out. There's probably someone in your past that you pray like them. You've put something into your prayer life because you have heard someone else pray that way. That can be a good thing, but here's the negative. We get a lot of bad habits by praying like other people instead of letting Christ teach us how to pray. So I want us to notice, almost take an attitude, verses 5 through 8, and it will spill over. It's as though Jesus is playing back our prayers, singling you out today, let's hit play. What if Jesus did that? And he would say, hey, you, calls you by name, pulls you to the side, let's go back and listen to your prayer from this morning. And you listen to it. Okay? Now let's listen to Saturday's prayer. And you listen to that. Well, I thought we were going to listen to Saturday. Yeah, that is Saturday. You want to hear Friday? Let's listen to Friday. Okay, listen to Friday. Oh, I thought you said we were going to listen to Saturday and Friday. This sounds all... Oh! Oh, yeah. You see the problem? Saturday, Friday. Do I need to go back? Or you got the picture? Every day sounds a lot alike. Somebody's sitting here right now. If you're honest, thankfully you pray. But if you're honest, if you were to play back your thoughts... It's about the same thing every day. Christ is saying, don't do that. So there's some negatives. Don't do it. Now if you were to go back, now let's go into the details of your prayer. I wonder if Christ would do this. Get play. Right, stop. What? Why did you just launch into talking? Because it's time to pray. You closed your eyes, sort of bowed your head, and off you went, talking. What are you doing? Slow down. Focus. Don't be in a rush. I wonder if Christ would say this. Hit play. Who are you talking to right there? Do you remember this? Yeah. Who are you talking to? Nobody. Stop doing that. Stop just talking to no one. That wasn't to me. I wonder if it, I'm going to really make somebody mad here. Moving on. And this is opinion. I'm telling you, this is opinion. I'm not saying Christ would do this. I'm wondering if he would not do this for some of us. Let's listen to this prayer. I pause. Do you hear that? What? What is this? What is, what is this? What? Why when you pray, do you flip a switch and you start using 400-year-old English? <laughs> Think about that. Probably because I heard someone else do that. I wonder if Christ would say, again, I'm going to make somebody mad. I wonder if he'd say, listen, you do not get bonus points by saying, thou be thine, sayest, goest, knowest. I wonder if he wouldn't say, listen, that's not you. You don't talk like that. Why do you talk that way to me? Be real. Be you. Let's just talk. I wonder if the Lord would hit play. And there we go. And I wonder if he would say, now, do you hear that? You heard it there? And there? And there? And there? 
Yeah, that phrase, do you hear it? Yeah, because I don't. I don't hear that because you don't mean it. The phrase is not bad. It's just you are just saying it over and over and over. And at risk of already offending many of you and coming across very negatively, I, I thought, Lord, what is our real goal here? The goal, guys, is not just to be informed about prayer. I hope that as we go out today, the Lord will do something in the text, not my words, but in the text, about my words about this text, that He would use to correct us so that we're praying less like other people and more just real prayer and conversation with the Lord. That's the goal. So at two points, frankly, I'll tell you, the outline is the same one as we had in verses 2 through 4. It'll probably be the same one that we'll end up having in verses 16 through 18 because the pattern is the same. And so let's begin with the first point. Jesus warns us how not to pray. And so there's definitely in verse 5, in verse 7, there's these do not, like three or four times in the text, it was there in the giving. When you give, sound no trumpet. Over and over, there's these words, don't do that, don't do that, don't be like them. Here it comes again, verses 5 and then 7 particularly. So I'm going to have two points out of this. Don't do these things in your prayer. Warning, not, do not pray this way. Very, very simple. Today is the simplest of the messages. First one comes out of verse number 5 if you're taking notes. Number 1, under warning of how not to pray. Here it is. Simple. Don't let the simplicity of the sentence be lost on you. Don't use prayer to impress other people. That's what Christ wants us to know. Grace you. Christian, don't use prayer to impress other people. Why? Pride is our enemy. Pride is the enemy of, of, of us all. I cannot say 100%, but I dare say, I, I would imagine 100%, could guarantee you, but I dare say that every person in here who's ever been asked to pray in public, whether it be you and one other person, you and a small group around a table, or you on a Wednesday night, or you in here on a Sunday morning, if you've ever been asked to pray in public, then you can relate with that pull that pride puts on us and we can identify with what Christ is trying to teach us here. Don't use prayer as an occasion to impress other people. It happens to us all the time. We get told, okay, this one will pray first, that one second, you're one third, and you're number three. You know, if we're not careful, we're not praying with this person. We're not agreeing in prayer with that person. We're planning our prayer, how we want to word it, because I don't want to be the weak link that doesn't sound very spiritual. And I've got to get my wording right. You ever done it? You're like, oh yeah. I know exactly what Christ is saying. Don't use it to stop. We're going to lose our reward if we do that. Christ is pleading with us. Keep it real. Look again at verse number 5. When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, but they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners. Why? That they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. Notice with you, if you would. Ancient Jews were taught to pray at least three times a day, wherever you were. Now, I don't think they had watches. I don't know how this worked. I don't know if they had a sound in the city. What happened? But at 9 a.m. and at noon and at 3 p.m., 
You pray. You're at it. Could it be that Christ is targeting people that intentionally, hypocrites, actors, pretenders, who intentionally scheduled their day, their pace of moving, so that when 9 or noon or 3 o'clock came, they would be at a crowded corner of people. And, oh, let me pick my pace up a little quicker, it's almost 9. Or, ooh, let me just slow down, I'm going to be over there. And at 9, noon, also. <laughs> and out come the prayers, and everybody around them like, oh, they're spiritual. That's a godly person. What Christ is saying is, don't do that. If you do that, they're going to be impressed, but I'm not seeing one word of it. Don't do your prayers to impress other people. Now, as you look at verse number 5, look at it again. When you pray, you must not be like hypocrites. They love to stand and pray in the synagogues on the street corners. Some people hear that and just what they come up with. So public prayer is wrong. It's wrong to pray in public. No. If, I want you to look carefully. I'm not going to reread it again. It is not a negative thing that these people love to stand. Oh, there's the problem. They're standing up while they're praying. No, that's not the problem. They like to pray in the synagogues, public prayer, not the problem. Uh, they like to pray on the street corners. It is not wrong to pray at street corners. Literally, the only thing that ruins verse number 5 is what you cannot see. So what can we not see? The motive. All of the externals are fine. The Old Testament has people praying standing, seated, kneeling, prostrate, you name it. People, that's not the key. It's the heart. What do they love? The hypocrite loves to pray, to be seen by other people. They love that more than they love God. Think with me for a moment. William Barclay writes the following. Such a true sentence, I'll probably read it twice. Barclay says, a man may pray. Now, hear this. It's very simple. A man may pray in such a way that his prayer is not really addressed to God but to his fellow men. Read it again. A man or a woman may pray in such a way that his prayer is not really addressed to God, but to his fellow men. And I sadly confess, that sentence is happening all across Anderson County this morning as we speak. Today, in church services all around our county, people will stand and say prayers that are not truly addressed to God. They really are intended to impress other people. And sometimes we even work, suppose prayers as speeches. They come out as speeches. Little platforms, little mini sermons. For a, that's not prayer. And Christ is saying, stop doing that. Why? Because if you do that, you have your reward. You're not going to get a reward from God. Now, can I ask this? Me, I probably pray public more than anyone here at our church. But whether it be any of our classrooms, Wednesday nights, small group prayer, whatever it may be, wouldn't it be awesome if we were different? I'd love to be different. I don't want to be like lots of churches. I don't want to be like lots of Christians. What if we literally, when we're talking in prayer, we're talking to God and we're not speech making and we're not preaching sermons and we're just literally Godward in our focus. What if tomorrow night, when these women meet here, 
It is effectual and it's fervent and it's real and it's genuine and it is not meant to impress. It is literally just God. Whether it be a written prayer that is read literally to God or a spontaneous prayer that is just God. What if we were that kind of church? That's what I want to be. I want to be that kind of Christian. Pride is always on the edge, reaching out. Number two, Christ saying, don't pray like this. Verse number seven, very simple. Don't try to impress with your prayers. Number two, don't just go through the motions. Don't just go through the motions. Verse 7, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. So if I were to say it this way, hypocrites, back in verse 5, what do they represent? They represent <coughs> deceivers. They're pretending. They're trying to deceive people to think that they're spiritual, that they love God, really that they love themselves. Verse number 7 is not so much deceivers, but the deceived. Catch this. These people, Jesus used the idea of Gentiles, pagans. He's talking to a Jewish audience at this time. This is before the cross. And so what he's talking about, people that are away from God, but they honestly in their heart think they will be heard by God. I'll give you two reasons. These people think they will be heard. It's very subtle. Watch, number one. Why do you think you're being heard by God? Because I'm praying. I'm being heard because I'm praying. He has to listen. Or the gods, whatever God it is, in this case, even if they're praying to Jehovah, Yahweh, God, they think they'll be heard because I'm praying. Number two, because I pray a lot. It's how much I'm praying. And they have this wrong thinking. And so instead of putting their confidence, they have confidence, they really believe they're going to be heard. Instead of their confidence being in Jesus Christ as our platform of being heard with the Father, here's their confidence. Confidence is in me and my much speaking, my many words, my long prayers, we could say it that way. R.T. France words the following. He says it this way. Catch the difference. Speaking of these Gentiles in verse 7, France writes, quote, instead of trusting a father to fulfill their needs, they think they must badger a reluctant deity into taking notice of them. Whole different philosophy. He's reading it again. Instead of trusting a father to fulfill their needs, they think they must badger a reluctant deity into taking notice of them. Later on, he adds, their whole approach values quantity. In fact, he adds even volume over quality. Quantity of prayer, surely he'll receive, because I pray these long prayers that have lots of words, and I repeat over and over and over and over and over, long, repetitious, loud, energetic, apparently fervent, more than quality. That's a wrong approach. And so now I want to correct another thought. And say it this way. Earlier, we could look at verse 5 and say, so then public prayer is wrong. Public prayer is not wrong. Praying on the street corner is not wrong. It's praying on the street corner to be seen by men, to be praised by men. That's wrong. So we look at verse number 7 and maybe we're tempted to say, so then long prayers are wrong. Long prayers are not wrong. Repetition within prayer, saying the same prayers as Prayed yesterday or the day before or the day before. That's what was wrong. Jeff, you alluded to that at the beginning of the sermon. That is not wrong in and of itself. It is vain repetition that is wrong. What Christ is hitting at is worthless, meaningless, pointless repetition that is given with no heart to it. How do I know that? I read the epistles written to the churches and here's what I find. 
Paul writes to this church and he says, I pray this prayer for you without ceasing. Not literally, but the idea of Paul is giving daily, I pray this prayer for that congregation. Like over and over, that same prayer for you. I pray this prayer for this church. I pray this prayer for this church. Watch this. It is not wrong to repeat prayers. It's not wrong to pray long prayers. Jesus prayed all night one time. And it was recorded. He probably prayed all night many times. It is not wrong to repeat. Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane prayed the same prayer three times within a very short period of time. On the cross, Christ repeated the same prayer. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. He prayed that over and over and over. Apparently, it is not wrong to pray repeated prayers. The problem is pointless repetition that has no heart. And so I'm going to give some examples. Again, not to offend, but what I find sometimes, I'm getting older now, and I'm learning that as the Lord's coaching me and asking me to coach people, sometimes we need not just wisdom. Here's a black and white principle. Sometimes we need understanding, taking that principle, putting it into our life in a way that we get it. So if you'll allow me, I want to offer some things that I've been exposed to, maybe even done myself, and some of these uh, that we have this pointless, meaningless, no heart repetition over and over. Uh, and hopefully we can, I'm, I'm going to propose that we rid these wrong uses out of our life. Here's one. You ever heard this one? God's great. God's good. Let us thank you for our food and the rest. Is that a prayer? What is that written? That's first person what? God is great. God is good. Let it's first person what? Plural. Let us thank Him. Who are you talking to in there? It's us talking to us. It's admitted. In. That is not prayer. It has one little line at the end. God is great. God is good. Let us thank Him for our food. By His hand we're daily fed. Here comes the one little prayer. Give us, Lord, our daily bread. Oh, thank you. Finally got to it. Otherwise, it's just talk. Commentary. Here's another one. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord. Now we chuckle. Here's what's sad. There may be someone sitting here or listening right now who's like, I, I do that with my kids. I do that like every night. Bonus points, right? No, stop doing that. Don't do that. You say, Jeff, why not? This is just first person singular. Who are you talking to? Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord. It's like I want to eventually get to where I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And if I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Don't do that on many levels. I'm going to give you another. This is a side note. Don't pray that because you're like instilling this idea that you've apparently lost your salvation. And you need to like make sure in case I die, Lord, please take my soul. That was settled for me in 1979. I don't pray that prayer. I don't want to pray that prayer. I may go to bed saying, Lord, I thank you that if I die, I'll wake up in heaven because it's settled in Christ. Don't pray that prayer. Let's get a little more to us. Dear Heavenly Father, we say that. Jeff, verse 9. There's where we get it. It's right there. The phrase is not bad. Here's my question. Do we mean it? Heavenly Father. Father. Or is it kind of like a ramp? We're getting ready to pray, and this is kind of just our like. I don't know. 
Fonzie going up want to jump the bus or something. I did a run and go. I haven't really started praying, so I'm just kind of getting warmed up to it. Dear Heavenly Father, just say it. Because why do you say it? And then the little tagline at the end is just like it. In Jesus' name, amen. God's got to answer it now. Why? Because I said the magic words. Good Bible-believing churches say in Jesus' name, amen. It's an awesome thing. You don't have to wait for the end. It should dominate the whole prayer throughout. Jeff, you're being kind of picky and... Frankly, you're irritating me today. I'm sorry. Jesus in verse 5 is saying, don't do that, don't do that. Verse 7, don't do that, stop doing that. I hope this is not us. Some literally recite. It's right there in the preceding verses. Many, many churches today, by the way, if we pray this, verses 9 through 13, it is awesome. But many will just merely recite, recant. Verses 9 through 13. Uh, it has become such a part of their service. They literally know as the choir comes down, uh, and as the offering, as, as the ushers are going forward, and just before they pray for the offering, we will all recite. Stop reciting prayers and start praying prayers. Don't go through the motions. Maybe the worst of Father. Do you understand that hundreds of millions of people this week will pray? Supposedly pray. Many, many Hail Marys. And they'll stack up these Hail Mary, Mother of God. That's a blasphemous statement. Don't ever pray that way. They're praying, they think they're praying as if to Mary, as if she's the Mother of God because she was the Mother of Jesus. Like she has some inside track to God the Father to get prayers answered that we don't have. I don't pray to Mary. I'm never going to pray to Mary. Mary's an awesome person, but she's not mentioned in the New Testament after Acts chapter 1. We never pray to her. Bless their hearts. There are people. I'm being mean today, but I'm just telling you. There are people. They have these things called rosary beads, and they have ten small beads and then a larger bead, and ten more and then a larger, and ten more and then a larger. Why? Because 30 times, this helps keep count as the eyes are closed. I moved on to the 17th bead. I got 13 more to go. I'm stacking up the Hail Marys. Why? Because I really want to get my prayers answered. Jesus is saying, God's not receiving that, and Mary sure isn't receiving it. Stop praying that way. It was sad. I was almost going to show a video because I took it on my phone. But then I thought, I don't have permission, I don't think. Maybe it would be okay. And they were with me as well. And I just took a video and there was this box. It's like this in a church in Greece where we were at. And folks would come along. It's a real money maker, by the way. And they would put in their money. And then you can get picked up a candle. And the thought is this. You go light a candle and you put it in the candle box, stuff it in the sand, say a prayer, probably didn't do that the right way, but say a prayer, and as long as the candle is lit, the prayer keeps going. Hundreds of millions of people. If they would stand there for just a moment, like I did, watching, there's a guy just off to the left as, as the little section about like this gets a lot put in there, the ones on the left, he takes them out, douses them, breaks them, throws them, and then moves these over so that the new ones are always going over here. I think if that were me, I'd be like, hey, don't touch mine. It's not done yet. You break all theirs. You break mine, I'm going to break your legs, man. This is my prayer. They are sincere. They believe in this. We do some crazy stuff. Hail Mary. Why? Because some monk in the 1300s decided we need to pray to Mary. Have you ever heard this one? I'm not to offend. 
In a show of fervency, have you ever heard this? The words, Father God, said at the beginning or end of like every sentence. Oh, Father God, when you pray, oh, Father God, Father God, Father God. If you mean that, awesome. But if you don't mean that, that is taking the Lord's name in vain. You need to stop doing that. Be careful. Y'all are probably thinking, Jeff, stop being so mean, guys. I want us to pray biblically. And while we're in this, this is a chance for us to stop picking up bad habits. Who's it like? You'll see on the screen. 1 Kings chapter 18. You'll remember this scene. Elijah the prophet is having a contest. It's either God or it's Baal. We can't have both. Israel, what do you want to pick? Which one's your God? And so there's 450 prophets of Baal and there's Elijah to represent the true God. And he says, let's have a contest and decide which God's going to be the true God. We're going to have two bulls. You guys need to pick which bull you want. Cut it up. Put it on an altar. Don't put any fire on it. I'm going to take the other bull. I'll cut it up and I'll put it on this altar. You guys pray and you ask Baal to come down and he'll light that fire. If that happens, then Baal is the true God. But if it doesn't, and I pray over this fire, and the one true Jehovah God sends down fire on this, then Jehovah is God. And so, sure enough, the 450 prophets picked their bull. They put him on the altar, and they cut him up, and they had the wood underneath. And look at verse number 26. 1 Kings chapter 18. Look at it. And they took the bull that was given them. They prepared it, and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon. I think that's around 9 o'clock until noon. What do they say? Oh, Baal, answer us. Like for three hours. Oh, Baal, answer us. Four and fifty. Oh, Baal, answer us. Oh, Baal, answer us. But there was no voice and no one answered and they limped around the altar that they had made. Listen, if you really believe fire is going to fall, why are you up on that altar? You know there's no fire going to fall. You're a faith. You're a hoax. Nevertheless, they keep praying. Not on the screen. Let me keep reading. It's not on the screen. And at noon, after they've had three hours, oh, but by now they're crying, oh, Baal, answer us. Oh, heaping it up over and over. Laying on one after another. Empty phrase on top of empty phrase. Finally at noon, Elijah mocked them saying, cry aloud. He's a God. Either he is musing. Maybe he's off entertaining himself. Or he is relieving himself. Baal might be gone to the bathroom. Or he is on a journey. Or perhaps he's asleep and must be awakened. And what do they do? First up, you don't you see it. They cried aloud and cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out upon them. And as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation. But there was no voice, no one answered, no one paid attention. And then Elijah prayed about 62, 63 words, and the fire fell. Why? Because God is real, and He receives real, genuine prayer. Over here, just saying things with emptiness that means nothing, praying to no one, accomplishes exactly nothing. Matthew chapter 6, verse number 6. Now we'll find our second point. Jesus instructs us how to pray. I told you a very, very simple message. So our first thought, don't pray like this. Don't use your prayers to impress people. And don't just go through the motions. Grace view, Christian, individual Christian. Block out pride. Don't use it as, a, as a, an occasion. Prayer is an occasion to try to impress other people. It's supposed to stop doing that. Let's don't lose our reward. Number two, don't just go through the motions. I think that's kind of the main point. Don't just go through the motions. 
verse 6. Now here's the positive instruction how to pray. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. I have three thoughts in this verse. I think these are the main three thoughts. You can word them different ways. Guys, let's learn how to pray. This is for me and for you. I really believe this is the main three thoughts. Number one, make prayer a primary discipline. Make prayer a primary discipline. Guys, at the risk of sounding mean again, it's not my goal, but can I point something out? Would you look at verse 6? Actually, back up verse 5. I'm not going to read all the verses. Would you look at verse 5? Do you see it? First four words. And when you pray. You see it? And when you pray. Look at verse 6. But when you pray. You see it? Verse 5. And when you pray. Verse 6. And when you pray. Look down at verse 7. And when you pray. Grace, I want you to listen here. I want you to catch. I'm going to do something Jesus is not doing. I'm stepping away from the text. Jesus is not giving a pep talk to pray. I want to encourage you to pray. Jesus is not encouraging. Hey, you out there. Everybody needs to pray. He is not doing that. You say, well, what's he doing? He assumes. His whole tone is, my people will pray. He is managing the prayers of people, his people. He's not calling unbelievers to a fake, fake prayer. And he's assuming all believers will be praying. I don't know this. But I'm burdened. I wonder how many people here this morning in your heart you say, Oh, I am a Christian, but let's just be honest for a moment. Let's be honest. You have to admit, I don't pray. Not like what verse 6 describes. I don't pray. I pray over meals and I pray when I get in a bind. And I pray when times are tough and I get real urgent. But I don't really pray. Jesus is describing that kind of person as totally out of step with him. Don't be out of step with your Lord. He literally, Christ's whole tone assumes my people pray. Hey, when you give, you do give. When you give, next verse, when you give, when you give. He gets on prayer. When you pray, when you pray, when you pray, he's going to do the same thing. When you fast, you guys do these things, right? You know there's some people sitting here this morning, they would go 0 for 3 on giving, praying, and fasting. And yet something in them still says, I'm a Christian. Are you? I'm not talking to everybody this morning. I'm talking to the one who says, I just going to pray. Well, I want to do what Christ is not doing just for a moment. Would you write this down? Nothing is more important in the Christian life than prayer. I chose those words carefully. Nothing. He said, well, we need to read our Bible. I'm not putting reading our Bible and studying and learning promises of God and rehearsing those. I'm not putting that behind prayer, but I'm not putting it in front of prayer. Nothing in the Christian life is more important than prayer. But Nothing. And here's what I notice. Guys, the most important things in our lives are scheduled. They get scheduled. The most important things. Raise your hand if you say, I already know. I mean, we have a plan. By God's grace, 
I know we're going to be eating lunch today. Would you raise your hand? We do know that. Raise your hand. Just a few of them have not, no plans you're not going to be eating, or it's going to be wait and see, I guess. Um, I'm surprised. I would have thought more of you like, oh, yeah, we're eating at the house. It's, it's in the crock pot right now. We schedule whatever well, luck you did participate, or you lied, or you have no plans. We're just going to play. We don't know that we'll eat today. Um, raise your hand. If this is you, by God's grace, I plan to be taking a nap by a certain time today. <laughs> now that actually, more people are going to be taking a nap than they're eating, of grace. Uh, you like, my nap's important. It's Sunday, and Sunday naps are just better than every other day. I agree with you. Uh, I've got plans for one, we're willing. We schedule when we shower. We schedule when we eat. We schedule when we go to work. That'd be work this time. School starts at this time. Church starts at this time. I want to say something. I want you to listen. Those of you that do pray, you'll say this is absolutely true. Listen. If you do not schedule the prayer that is described in verse 6, it is not going to happen. It will not happen. You're not going to randomly be going through the day. I've got a few extra minutes. You know what I think I might? I think I'm going to go find a private place, shut the door, and I think I'm going to pray to the Father. Now's a good time. It's a little different every day. That is not what, that's not reality. That's just not reality. The most important things in our life need to be scheduled. Prayer must be Schedule. So I want to ask you a question. Be honest inside yourself. Be honest inside yourself. Here's the question. When and where do you pray? You say, well, I pray all the time, all through the day. We'll talk about that in a moment. But I'm talking about what's described in verse 6. Answer within yourself. Everybody here do it. When and where do you pray? Some of you are going, that's when and that's where. Praise the Lord. Keep doing it. Keep doing it. Until July. Little by little, it recenters you every day. But somebody in here is going, I don't have a win or a where. Why not? I'm asking compassion. Why not? What are you waiting on? I think of Chuck Swindoll. I think he was 17. Asked to pray at his house over the meal. Went through some memorized meal prayer, finished with the words, in Jesus' name, amen, amen, passed the potatoes. And his older brother rebuked him. He said, Charles, when are you going to learn to pray? You know what he said? Come on, man, you're 17 now. Grow up. Stop doing that nonsense. When are you going to, are you going to learn to pray? Christian, if you can't say, it's in my life, I am patient. Here's who I'm patient with. The person who says they're a Christian and maybe they don't have prayer in their life. Here's who I really lose patience with. I don't have prayer in my life and I'm not planning on putting it in my life. You call yourself a Christian. Christianity is a relationship with God. It's not a prayer. Should have had it again right there. Amen, Jeff. Christianity is a relationship with God. It's not some random word and signing a card and shaking a preacher's hand one day. If it's real, if it's real, and it, something's going to grow out of that. Living things grow. Dead things don't grow. If you just go on and on. As, as I'm describing this, you may be sitting there saying, prayer's not a part of my life. What's described in verse 6 is not a part of my life. A Christian will at least say, but I want it. That, that sounds like, well, I want that. I, it's hard. It is hard. But a Christian wants it. 
Number two. By the way, take a moment, just before we do the second thought here, take a moment. You that pray, like verse six, keep it up. If you don't, like literally, take 10 seconds. Realistically, when in your day and where would work? When in your day and where? Put a time. Put a place. See what God will do with that. Number two. What's Christ saying? Make it a primary discipline. Number two, keep private prayer private. It's obviously one of the main points of verse number six. Keep private prayer private. Now, we did a prayer series back in the fall. I'm not going to revisit everything that was said on these next thoughts. I'm going to very quickly, well, I'm going to approach it a little different. But you guys remember that we talked about there are three main types of prayer in the New Testament. So if you hold your spot, Matthew 6, let's go track down those three types of prayer. Look, if you would, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. The last chapter in 1 Thessalonians, if you would look over there. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Paul is wrapping up. Um, I was able to go to this city. It's now 1.2 million people. It surely wasn't that back when Paul was there. Very large city. <coughs> history. Many old artifacts. Uh, a lot of religion in this area. A lot of wonderful things. A lot of people, by the way, that love the Lord. Our guide was awesome. She's Greek Orthodox, but I'm going to tell you, I'm going to say that later when I get to heaven. She loved the Lord, and she knew her stuff. Look at uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse number 16. Paul tells these Thessalonians, he says, Rejoice always, here it comes, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Rejoice always. Why? Because you're headed to heaven. What's going to remind me that I'm headed to heaven? What's going to remind me that I have a relationship with the Lord, that He is sovereign? Rejoice always. Here's the, here's the connector. Pray without ceasing. Pray without stopping. Always be in an attitude of prayers. Here's what we're going to call that. Daily fellowship with God. That is one kind of prayer. It is literally as you're going. We say, Jeff, what is this daily fellowship? It's as you're just going through life. You're communicating with God. You're inviting God literally into every part of your day. I can do this by myself, but I'm going to bring God into this. If you are doing something that you can't invite God into doing that with you, then you don't need to be doing that activity. If you're doing it, then invite the Lord to come into it with you. Like everything. Just fellowshipping with the Lord, praying without ceasing. doesn't mean literally you're praying all the time. It just means you're in an attitude of prayer. You can get a hold of God. You can get a prayer answered at any moment in the day. There's not a long lapse. It's not about something, oh, I talk to God only in the mornings. No. Daily fellowship, walking with the Lord. Surrender to God. Communication with the Holy Spirit and the Father and Christ. Number two. Flip over just a few pages. 1 Timothy chapter 2. We'll find the second type of prayer. By the way, I would say of these three, daily fellowship is one that I need to work on the most. This is me. That daily fellowship through the day communicating with the Lord. Second type of prayer is 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 1. Paul had left Timothy in Ephesus and what he tells him in chapter 3 is I hope to come soon but if I don't, I'm writing you this letter so that you will know how to put things in order when the church gathers. What should the church do when it gathers? Notice verse 1 of chapter 2. First of all, that means literally a first rank, not second place, high priority. First of all then, I urge that supplications, which means urgent pleadings because we're lacking, we're missing something, we're, we're empty, we're devoid in, in this area, God, please, we're not going to have it if you don't give us this. 
First of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, just simple asking, intercessions for other people, and thanksgiving, self-explanatory. Paul says, when you get together, these are the things you need to do. These are first rank. Supplications, prayers, intercessions, thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and for all who are in high positions. Why? We want it to go well with the kings and those who are in high positions. Why? So that we, Christians, may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Pray for them to do a good job so that we can do what we're meant to do. Verse 3. This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of, the, of God our Savior. Corporate prayer. If the first one is the one that I think I probably need to work on in my life the most, I would say the second one is easily the most difficult of the three kinds of prayer. Now the third is prayer closet prayer. Matthew chapter 6, verse number 6 is the third obvious kind of prayer. So you have walking with the Lord, praying with other Christians corporately, publicly, group settings. We want to make our efforts, teamwork, appealing to God, interceding. Begging. And then verse number six is this third prayer closet prayer. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your father who's in secret. Your father who sees in secret will reward you over. Follow me quickly. I want to talk fast. I want to compare particularly the first one on that list and the third one. You see it? Daily fellowship. Watch. What is this daily fellowship? I want to revisit it again. Daily fellowship is talking to the Lord while you're driving. It's talking to the Lord in the shower, talking to the Lord doing the laundry, talking to the Lord cooking, talking to the Lord in between helping the kids with homework, talking to the Lord right before a meeting, right after a meeting, in the middle of the meeting, talking to the Lord throughout the day, bringing Him into every part of the day. That is an awesome kind of prayer. Daily fellowship is awesome. But we have to acknowledge this. Daily fellowship, in those activities, it is not possible for me to completely focus on God alone. I cannot possibly give God my full attention while driving or while showering. I mentioned those two in particular because I've heard folks through the years. I'm not trying to be mean. I, I, want, I want to be taught myself, and I hope the Lord will use me to help other folks. I think some folks, in their heart, in their mind, they think, and they pray by the way. It's their plan. They'll do it tomorrow morning. They have a 31-minute commute. And that's their prayer time. That's good, guys, but that's daily fellowship. That is not closet prayer. Oh, yes, it is. It's just me and the Lord. No, you are driving. You better be driving. <laughs> you better be driving. Oh, in the shower. That's my time with the Lord. Guys, that's daily fellowship. That is not closet prayer. God is not getting your full attention. They may have the same content. In both, you're worshiping the Lord. In both, you're confessing. In both, you're giving thanks. In both, you're asking God for some strength or for some victory over sin. Or again, confessing sin. Both, a lot of the same things. But one, you're not allowed to give. You just can't give full attention. Here's what's sad. A lot of people only have daily fellowship with God. They don't have a prayer closet type of prayer, which is in our message today. Why is that important? So, my opinion. I believe closet prayer is the foundation prayer of all of the others. If you don't have closet prayer, you are not going to be able to pray in corporate prayer. It is such a struggle as it is already. But if you don't learn who, what God sounds like and how to talk to God when it's just you, you will have no chance when other people are praying out loud. I also want to take a moment. Now, follow me. I may be off here, but I'm going to offer it. 
Here's a person who does daily fellowship with God without closet prayer. And over here's a person who does daily fellowship with God with closet prayer. This one without, this one with. Remember, here's these two types. I wonder if this person... So, so we're coming back from Greece and we're flying through these clouds. And I don't know if that's why this came into my mind. There's these clouds that are way up in the air, right? Way up in the air. But as you're flying through it, all of a sudden you're enveloped by it. And I remember just a few times in my life where at night in the mountains that there would be this low-lying fog that was so thick and enveloping and even I could use the word intimate. I mean, it's right there. This person who has daily fellowship with God without closet prayer, I, I imagine... Their prayer is like praying to this God that is way up there like these high clouds. And He's exalted and He's way up there. And He hears. But this person who has daily fellowship with God that springs from a closet prayer, they're like in this thick, intimate, enveloped. It's like what started here just continues on. I want to propose to you, daily fellowship, here's what it really should be. God, I just didn't finish I just want to keep talking to you in this. That was so good. I want to keep this going. That person over there misses that dynamic. If you don't have clear prayer closet prayer and only daily fellowship, you say, I'm that person. I pray in the shower. I pray on the way. Or I pray when I'm folding laundry. Awesome. Just don't confuse it with closet prayer. It's not the same. Here's what that's like said. Again, here's this person. What they're saying is, God, I want you in my life but I'm not willing to give you full attention. The best I'm going to give you, I'm going to fit you in with something that I already have to do. And so that's about what I'm going to give you. If you're taking notes, let's notice two reasons why this phrase, shutting the door, is so important. Number one, and by the way, I believe they're very clear in the text, and the flow of the text, and these are the main two reasons. What's this whole closing the door? Is it literal? It could be literal. Does it have to be literal? But what, what's happening here? Two things. Number one, external privacy. Get in a closet. It could be your office. It could be... Can I have one exception? I'm, I'm thinking of this. And this is different than showering and driving. Okay? You may say, Jeff, I have my time with the Lord walking. It very well. I think that... There's an opinion. I think that can be prayer closet. Because really you're not having to do anything else. It's just, you're not focusing on walking. That is you and, you and the Lord. And I think that, that may be a little bit different. But in there you're choosing a private path. Y'all follow I know I'm about. I'm, I'm sharing with you guys my thoughts on prayer. And hopefully they're springing from what the Lord's showing me this week. External privacy. Why shut the door? To deter pride from coming in and trying to get you to put on a show for somebody else. Listen, go in there where it's just you, close the door, pride's gone. Nobody's going to see. It's just you and God, and that's enough. It's just me and God. External privacy, nobody will know. That just squelches the pride right there. Just you and the Lord. But notice the second reason. We'll say Jeff said the same thing. No, it's very different. Second reason, internal privacy. By closing the door, whether literal or figurative, here's what we're doing. When I close the door, what's happening is I'm not going anywhere. The door's closed. I might as well just be still. 
And I'm locking out the noise. And I'm not with anyone else. I'm alone. I've blocked out the noise. And I've just stopped. I'm not moving. The door is closed. Why is that important? Same thing I said last fall. I'm going to use it again. Deanna has a whole retreat that springs from these ideas. But these are the facts. Most of you are like me. Some of you are like Jeff. I am not plagued by crowds. I live alone. When I come to church, it's like the only time I'm around people. Okay, You may be that way, but you'll remember another time in life you were not that way. Most of us, here's what we find. Three things plague us. Hurry. Hurry, 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 hurry. You've got to do the next thing. Crowds. A crowd can be one other person. It can be a hundred other people. Crowds. Noise, noise, noise. That's why when we go into our prayer closet and shut the door and get along with God, here's what we're doing. I'm getting still. I'm getting some solitude, just me and the Lord. And I'm getting some silence. These three S's are very key in our prayer. And even then, it's a struggle. Just confess it. It is hard to concentrate when it is just me, me and the Lord. I'm still... And there's no noise. That's the most conducive, but even there, my little brain wants to run and chase rabbits. And I do good to lock in for 20 seconds at a time, and often I have to back up. Jeff, who are you talking to? Those things I said on that early coaching, Paul, who are you talking to? That's me. That was me. That's not about me. Jeff, who are you talking to? Nobody. Back up. This is where you left off talking to me. When I was trying to I have to do that all the time. Third and final thought on how to pray. Still springs from verse number 6. Focus your prayers on God as a person. Focus your prayers. I mean, focus them. Laser concentration on God as a person. Bless your heart if you were with us last year and especially if you were with us on Wednesday nights because I'm going to sound a little bit like a broken record. Guys, to me, this point, where my mind likens it the most is like a professional golfer. For me, there are certain fundamentals that must be put into our prayer. So Jeff, what do you mean a professional golfer? You've got to understand two things about professional golfers. Okay? These are the best in the world. I mean, the best of the best in the world at hitting a little golf ball. The thing moves for the rest of us. I don't know how it does it. But that little thing does not sit still when I try to hit it. It moves or I can never hit it flush. These are the best in the world. Second thing I need you to understand they hit thousands of golf balls every week. Thousands. And yet, when it matters, 18 times on each hole, when they stand in that box, the best ones, now the not best ones, they may just go up and hit it. I do this thousands of times. The best ones, they go through a whole routine. They literally, they line up, they look at it. When they finally move to address the ball, I mean, they're over here, they're going over this, they got that. Right now, you're like, hit the ball! Just hit it! You do this thousands of times every The best of the best are going through fundamentals. This is one of seven fundamentals. Is he getting ready to develop seven? I'm not going to tell you seven of my fundamentals. Just know this is one. Here it is. Write this down. My advice. Maybe you already do it. I hope you do. This is so simple. When you first do it, you to close the door. Noise is gone. It's just you. Be still. When you first begin to pray, strive. I use the word strive because it's a struggle. This is often where you're going to bring in some verses. For me, often it's, it's Hebrews 11.6. Without faith, it's impossible to please Him. 
For he that comes to God must believe that he is, he exists, and he is a rewarder of them that do it to seek it. Now go do this and faith. You're in here, you're me and you. When you first begin to pray, strive by faith to enter into an awareness of God's presence. And by that I mean Father, Son, Spirit, or maybe it's Spirit in me. I'm in Christ. We're seated at the right hand of the Father. The Father's right here. I'm in Christ. The Spirit's in me. I'm just starting my day resting. I'm not working. This success of this day is not relying upon me. It's relying on Christ has already done it all. I make it no matter what. This is awesome. Can we please talk? Absolutely. Let's talk. God is the point of prayer. So Jeff, why, why is this so important? Because God is the point of prayer. He's the whole point. No, prayer is to get our stuff answered. No, God is the point of prayer. Get to God. Once in that place where you realize, you say, Jeff, I, I've never really done this. Try it. He's in the secret place. I'm telling you, He is in the secret place. He sees, He hears. Try it out. Go get there if you're a true Christian. By faith, God, give me some faith. There you are. Yes. This, Jesus is not lying. There you are. Now talk to Him. By the way, when you realize and you become aware of God's presence, listen, don't rush to talk. Yeah. I forget who said it. But it's been said, nothing you will say is more important than those first moments of just being in God's presence. Just so Jeff, hurry up, man, the restaurant's coming. I just remembered I do have my twin. <laughs> this is my last page. So I'm going to close. It's a lengthy quote. And again, some of you have heard it probably five times, but it's been a year. R.A. Torrey, if he didn't know how to pray, he sure knew how to fake it. Because what he says is so insightful and I find it challenging. Listen, Jesus says, and pray to your Father. Torrey writes, you'll see it on the screen, so don't get caught up on the note yet. It'll be up there in a moment. Listen, uh, Torrey says, quote, the prayer that has power is the prayer that is offered unto God. But some will say, is not all prayer offered unto God? No. Very much of so-called prayer, both public and private, is not unto God. In order for a prayer to really be unto God, watch, he says, there must be a definite and conscious approach to God when we pray. Here's your note. We must, must have a definite and vivid Realization that God is bending over us listening as we pray. You have to pray to God. It is one of my personal seven fundamentals. If I'm not praying to God, then who am I praying to? I'm just talking to myself. I'm going to keep reading the rest of his quote as you're writing it. Because he's so true. He sort of has me that. Tori says, in very much of our prayer, there is really only little thought of God. Our mind, what are we saying? Then what are we thinking about? Is this not true? Our mind is taken up with the thought of what we need. A need. He says it's taken up with the thought of what we need. And it's not occupied with the thought of the mighty and loving Father of whom we are seeking it. That's me. Listen, those times when I'm focused on my need more than God, that's called a worry session. That's a worry session. That's not prayer. But that's not all the times. Tori completes by the quote by saying, Oftentimes, here's another thing. 
We're neither occupied with the need nor with the one to whom we're praying. He said, then what are we doing? Instead, our mind is wandering here and there throughout the world. He says, there is no power in that sort of prayer. But, awesome sentence. I didn't have a report on that. When we really come into God's presence, really meet Him face to face in the place of prayer, really seek the things that we desire from Him, then there is power. Unquote. So Jeff, what's your final thought? Guys, I want to tell you, this is, I've said all that to wrap up with this, not in your notes, what I believe Christ's main thing. Say, what do you think it is? Be real and authentic when you pray. I think that's it. Just be real and authentic when you pray. That right there, who are you talking to? No, that's not to me. Why do you keep using that phrase over and over? You don't even mean it. Why don't you just rush into prayer? Stop and focus. Just be real. Paul says to the Corinthians, this is a different topic. Listen, he says to the Corinthians, he's talking about the gift of tongues, other languages. They spoke, spoke Greek. What he's saying is, I would rather speak five words in a language that you understand. Here's the idea that connects. I'd rather speak five words that connect than 10,000 words in an unknown tongue that you don't understand. That is an astounding statement. Come on, Paul. Five cannot be better than 10,000. Five is better than 10,000 when 10,000 do not meet the goal. If the goal of prayer is to commune with God, then 10,000 words and all these phrases and X amount of time and quota and checkbox and I did it that literally does not connect to God is worthless. Paul says, I'd rather say five words. I'd rather say five words that connect and serve the purpose. So here's my final thought. Many people just go through the motions. Jesus is calling us slow down. Stop talking so much to no one. Talking even a little with God is better than many words said to yourself or to impress others. Would you bow your head just for a moment? I want to invite you just for a moment. I'll pray in a moment and we'll go home. We'll go eat those meals that we don't have planned. Right? <laughs> Hey, let's practice. Like I'm, I'm telling you, when we have a moment. Bring God into focus. Like right now, bring God into focus. Do you have a vivid realization that God is bending over you right now? He is there, by the way. If you're a Christian, you have a relationship with Him. Through Christ. You have to have faith, though. But through Christ... Acknowledge the Father. One thought that always helps me is when I remind myself, Jeff, you can't think a thought and slip it by God. He knows every thought, so you might as well talk to him as if he's hearing every thought, because he is. So he's there. As you bring God in your focus, I just wonder if any of us this morning, before we dismiss, does anybody here need to confess? Right now, to God, not to me. Tell Him, God. God, I'm sorry you've not been getting my undivided attention. And you're worthy of it. Say it again. 
God, I'm sorry. You have not been getting my undivided attention. Lord, I want to keep inviting you into the daily life, but God, Jesus says we need to get along. I've not been doing that. No movement to identify yourself. I just wonder why we have God in focus. He's hearing you, bending over you as you pray. Does anybody need to confess? You've been using prayer to impress other people. Or, God, I haven't set aside time, but I just go through the motions. I have not been talking to you. I'm sorry. communion, walking with the Lord in all of her day. And there's corporate prayer with other believers. And there's closet prayer. Is there one of these that you just right now, as God's in your sphere of awareness, as you're focusing the prayer on Him, talk to a real person. And just say, God, would you help me in this one particular kind of prayer? I'm really weak in it. By your grace, I want to grow in that.